Hest is unapologetically a node wire visual programming language. It's not trying to create a new category. It's just trying to take an existing approach to visual programming and invigorate it with a bunch of new capabilities inspired by video games and art tools and other things. It is absolutely a mixtape of all my favorite ideas. I'm not trying to invent a new genre. I'm just trying to be the stratosphere of visual programming. There's a lot of people who listen to this in California, I'm sure, so maybe that late 90s fusion band reference won't be lost on all of you. One of the things that Node-Wire visual programming languages all do that I've complained about before, and I'm going to take another episode to complain about again, is treat the wires as a sort of a second-class citizen compared to the nodes. And I want to kind of drill in a little bit on why I want to treat the wires as more first-class things in their own right. It's because I want to be able to steal ideas wholesale from 3D modeling tools, like your 3D Studio Max, Moto, Maya, Blender. In those tools, there are a handful of different graphics primitives, and they're all kind of expressed in terms of each other. So you have vertices. Vertices are kind of a thing on their own. You have edges. Edges aren't really a thing on their own, at least not in most of these 3D modeling tools. They're always a connection between vertices. And then you have triangles, which are a collection of three edges, three vertices. And then some of these tools have quads as their own type, but most of them just have face as a type, which is a collection of triangles. And then you might have a shading group, which is a collection of faces. And then you usually have a whole mesh, which is a collection of shading groups or just a collection of faces. And then you'll have an object, which is a collection of meshes. And then you might have a little parent-child hierarchy, which is a collection of objects. There might be some bones in there for animation. And then you might have all of that wrapped up into a scene. And then you might have you know multiple scenes that comprise a, a bigger project. That's kind of the hierarchy. What's really nice about that hierarchy is that there are a lot of tools, a lot, a lot, a lot of tools in these 3D modeling packages that let you do all sorts of things with these primitives, vertices, edges, triangles, faces, objects. If you have an object, one of the tools that you can have is where you take a face, like let's just say a, a quad, like a big, you know, two triangles stuck together to form a, a rectangle in 3D space. And you can position that quad so that it kind of bisects your object, kind of cuts it in half. And then you can use a tool that says basically, hey, take this object and like split it along this face that is intersecting it. And you split it into two different meshes or two different objects. So that's a little interaction there that is about carving up space by using one graphics primitive as the input to a transformation that applies to a different graphics primitive. There are other things like you could select a bunch of vertices and say, hey, uh, merge these vertices together into one vertex. And if those vertices had edges that were coming out of them, then that new vertex has all those same edges coming out. And if those vertices were members of triangles or members of faces, then that new vertex will have all of those triangles and faces coming out of it as well. But you can also do something a little bit fancier. Like you can select an entire object and say, hey, 
merge together all the vertices that are less than one unit apart. And so if you've been modeling some 3D object and you have a whole bunch of vertices all over the place, maybe some of those vertices are exactly overlapping one another, like they're right on top of each other. And you might not know that because it might not be something you can easily see in the viewport, just kind of rotating around, looking at wireframes or whatever kind of view you're looking at. You might not know, hey, I've got these two vertices that are like right touching one another, but they're actually two separate vertices. They're not merged together. You can use this tool that's like, hey, just merge all the vertices that are less than a certain distance apart. And you can do that interactively. There'll be a little number spinner and you can just you know, slide up and down on that thing and see kind of at what values you get a result that doesn't cause any like visible deformation, right? Because if you put that that distance value too high, you'll see parts of your object start to collapse together in ways that you don't intend. So you can just like scale it down to the point where it's not doing anything you don't want it to do and know confidently, oh, hey, before I ran that, I had, you know, 500 vertices in this object and now I have 497. So there were like three vertices in there that were overlapping three other vertices and now those are collapsed down. Another thing you can do, and this should be very familiar to anybody who's ever looked at CSG or other kinds of modeling stuff, is you can take two full objects, like a, you know two spheres or whatever, and overlap them and say subtract the one sphere from the other sphere, and then you get a sphere with a little chunk taken out of it. Or you can say intersect these two spheres, and then you get a nice little sort of Venn diagram-like pointy orb-like thing. There's probably a nice math name for that shape, but I'm going to go with pointy orb-like thing. Back in the day, <laughs> I say as a as a person in their mid-30s, meaning the 90s, uh, Boolean operations between 3D objects were done as a destructive operation. So you'd overlap your two objects, and then you'd say, hey, Boolean these two things, and the modeling tool you were using would, would do that transformation and destructively produce a new mesh. And it would you know resolve all the edges and cut the edges so that they had vertices at the right spots and hook everything up together. And since that was such a destructive operation, uh, and it would do so much work on the mesh, um, it was actually kind of slow because the mesh you wound up with had a lot of like extra detail that you probably didn't want just because of how it had to cut all the triangles. Uh, but it was also often degenerate. Like it would, you know, create weird gaps or things that didn't line up quite right. And so if you try to do like multiple Boolean operations, like you, you know, do some Boolean subtraction and then you take that subtracted object and subtract it from something else and then take that thing and subtract it from something else, you kind of build up this like mess and the more of those that you did, the worse and worse it got for performance and stability. And if you tried to do that in a, in a meaningful sort of artistic way, it would eventually just like completely fall apart. And so eventually the tools started to get a little bit smarter and they wouldn't actually do it as a destructive operation. They'd still keep the original objects that you had done your Boolean operations with. Those would still exist. And it would just apply a kind of an on-the-fly modifier that would constantly be reevaluating those underlying objects and generating a, a fresh mesh. And so if you tried to bring in more and more and more objects to do your, your Boolean work on, you know, more and more things are going to get subtracted. It would just do a fresh pass on all of those objects and all of their combinations that you're asking for right in the moment that it needs that, that geometric data. And it was much more stable and much nicer. And so it was this sort of interesting thing where, well, and there was another 
part of it, which is now that it's actually not doing it destructively, now that it's keeping those objects around just if for nothing else than for the sake of stability and for having a, you know, a robust result, it would actually offer you the ability to go in and manipulate those original objects that you had booleaned together. So if you decided, hey, I want to, you know, go and change this cube that I have in this Boolean subtraction, go and like move some of its vertices around or, or, or you know, round it or, or apply some transformation to this cube that's part of this complex Boolean thing. You could go in and do that after the fact, after, you know, including it in this, this Boolean operation. And that was like a, a really nice sort of user-facing benefit of this change. So it has this like, it's technically a more robust solution, but it's also in terms of the user interface, like nicer to work with and more flexible. Another example of nice 3D modeling tools is that you can have two separate objects and you can take one of those objects, like let's say you've got some like complicated spaceship model or something like that, and you want to add a new greeble to the outside, you could put your cube that you're going to use as the start of the greeble up against the hull of the spaceship and uh, with you know wireframes visible, uh, kind of roughly position the, the cube so that its vertices are kind of near a quad on the outside of the spaceship, and then turn on snapping two vertices and then select your cube and start going to each of the vertices on that cube that are up against the hull of the spaceship and actually snapping that cube's vertices onto the vertices of the quads on the spaceship and and, and like quickly manipulate your new object so that it exactly lines up with the existing object by constraining the edit actions that you're doing based on the type of data that you want them to be constrained to. So in this case, you know, position snapping to vertex positions. But you can do that with other things too. You could say snap to edges, snap to triangles or faces. You can like choose which of these primitives are the thing that you want to use as your frame of reference when doing some other operation. And you can, in addition to choosing like what things you want to be snapping to, you can choose like, well, what am I working with right now? What level am I working at? Am I working at the vertex level? Okay, then I'm snapping vertices to vertices. Or I'm snapping, you know, edges. If I'm working on edges, I can snap this edge to a vertex. I can snap this triangle to a vertex. You know, whatever whatever it is you're working on. Because you have, like, keyboard shortcuts. Usually, you know, they'd be like one, two, three, four, five, or whatever. Where it's like one is, okay, I'm in vertex mode. And I'm going to just, like, be positioning vertices all over the place. Two is, okay, now I'm in edge mode. Because that's, like, the next one up. And now I'm selecting and moving edges and rotating and whatever. And then the next one up is triangles, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, like, right mapped to the keyboard in a very easy way. So that you can, you know, jump up and down this, like this hierarchy of the visual primitives that you're working with and choose which of them you want to manipulate using the same uniform tools for the most part across all those levels, right? Move, scale, rotate with snapping or with constraints like only allow this thing to go along the x-axis, like whatever transformation I'm doing, or your choice of coordinate system. So, hey, I want to transform this triangle and I want to uh, rotate it and, you know, align it a certain way and then do some scaling with it. And so I want to use the local coordinate system of this other object that I'm like, you know, that this other object just over here, use its coordinate system as my frame of reference as I'm doing this transformation on this triangle here. So why am I talking about this? What's the point of all this? The point is that there are these really nice graphical primitives that form a really standard hierarchy that all three modeling tools have agreed on and have kind of converged on. And they all 
have a number of operations that you can do at any of these levels, plus special operations that work by combining the different levels of this hierarchy. And they have this sort of, this this design space that has been very, very thoroughly explored. And, you know, there are many other interpretations for how to handle these primitives and what kind of operations you can do on them and what kind of interfaces you can build. But the industry has kind of, for the most part, give or take, settled on some core things that they all agree on. And what's really interesting about that is visual programming tools, which use the same primitives, at least to a certain extent, in that they have wires that connect nodes. Nodes are kind of like vertices. Wires are kind of like edges. And you could maybe argue that there are other primitives in there as well, depending on how you want to squint and which environment you're looking at. Um, They have a similar space of visual primitives. But when it comes to the tools that you can use for actually manipulating those visual primitives, there's nothing. There's select the thing and move the thing left, right, up, down. And that's it. There's no like, hey, hold this key and now you are in wires mode. And if you drag a selection rectangle, you will only select wires and it will ignore nodes. There's no, hey, I want to grab this selection of nodes here and I want to rotate it around this other node. So use this other node as my pivot point for this selection of nodes that I've made over here and rotate around those things because there's some space up there that I want to get to, but I want to preserve the fact that the way my selections nodes are arranged won't have any crossing wires and won't have any mesh as long as you preserve that relationship to the node that I want to pivot around. But if I were to just naively select those things and drag them up, then I'd get a bunch of crossing wires that I have to clean up. There's no tool that's like, hey, I've got this really large cluster of nodes right here, and I want to insert some more stuff in the middle, but I can't do a big band selection because I'm going to catch a whole bunch of kind of unrelated stuff if I do that, just based on how things are arranged. And I don't want to just, you know, have to individually move stuff out of the way. So let me do a thing where I like select a region of empty space and say, hey, I want to actually like open that space up a little bit and push things left and right from this line that I've drawn here. I'm going to draw this line through this region of space and I want to just pull stuff apart left and right, kind of like, you know, Moses parting the Red Sea kind of thing. There are so many of these little tools that one can imagine, especially if one has the benefit of not needing to imagine and couldn't just go and kind of crib the work that has been done by the 3D modeling and animation tools industry. You know, go copy Autodesk's homework. There are so many things that you could take that would help you deal with the problem, the perennial problem that all of these people working on visual programming languages or working with them bring up of, hey, I made spaghetti and all my things are crossing and it's messy and it's hard to work with stuff because I have to do a whole bunch of manual moving stuff around one thing at a time and it's really tedious. And it doesn't have to be that way. There are ample examples out there of how to make it less tedious, more impactful, more expressive. If you actually treat the 
graphical character of the thing that you're building, if you actually treat that hierarchy of graphical primitives, points, edges, small collections, big collections, regions of space, frames of reference, if you treat them as all equivalently first class and you build in tools that let you have snapping based on types, that let you have rotations around arbitrary frames of reference, that let you very quickly collect a bunch of those things and say, I want to make these things into a group so that if I touch any one of them and do some transformation on it, it applies to all of these things equally, but that makes no change to the semantics of my program or even the visual appearance of it. It's just a temporary working group of things. It's a saved selection. There are all sorts of these ideas that are just there for the taking, and it will be a lot of work to implement them in a visual programming environment, and it will be even more work repeated over and over and over again by a bunch of different people before we have properly explored this space for visual programming tools. But the incorrect solution to the problem of spaghetti code in node wire programming is to say, that's why node wire programming is no good. The incorrect solution is to say, it's hard to work with this stuff and not acknowledge the fact that there are no tools for working with it, so of course it's hard. <laughs>